Hello, boys, girls, and everything in between. Welcome to 2100. My name is Jason Peters, and this is our coronavirus pandemic episode. Today, we tried a unique podcast format, and soon you'll be listening to my recording with friend of mine, friend of the show, and journalist from the press of AC, Colt Shaw. Rather than doing a full-on panic mode podcast where I describe the possible death toll and the spread of the virus, tell you to wear masks, wash your hands, and talk about funding, I decided to latch onto a subplot of the pandemic and expand upon it greater. I have compiled the history of a man named Samuel Hahnemann from birth to death, followed by the opening and closing of the hospital in his namesake in my city, taking us to the present and the coronavirus situation. We will use Hahnemann as a lens to view the coronavirus through. Admittedly, I've been more angry and irritable than usual because we're on lockdown and I'm not built for this. So I'm not allowed to be angry or frustrated or yell or curse during this interview until we hear the magic words, which are... Private equity. So to the people of 2020 and 2100, strap in to learn all about Hahnemann, the past, the present, the future, and this crazy world we live in. Two, two, two thousand one hundred. To save Hahnemann from being destroyed by a real estate speculator. Make no mistake about it. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, we, for lack of a better word, is good. Read is right. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of an evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its life, money, knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind. I can't tell you at the time. Can't tell you this time. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. I can't tell you about the future. The future. The future. Two, two, two thousand one hundred. Read, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. Positive vibes. Uh, and that's why I will share my, um, my personal experiences with Hahnemann. Uh, I have been to Hahnemann many, many, many times throughout the course of many years. Um, when my grandparents were very sick, uh, they would go to Hahnemann. They, they were South Philly natives. Uh, my grandma had Alzheimer's, had a bunch of different complications. Cancer. Both of my grandparents had cancer. And uh, yeah, uh, in and out of Hahnemann. I'm pretty sure one of them died in Hahnemann. Uh, that wasn't the hap. I shouldn't have let in with happy. That's the sad one. You should uh, now- call on them to haunt Joel. <laughs> <laughs> if I was a religious man, I would. Uh, f- Joel. F- no, 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 yeah, no, yeah, no. The no. words. Remember the words. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no. Not until the magic words come out. Yet. Private equity. Um, I shouldn't have said anything. I so that was the negative story. I shouldn't have let it with the negative story. The positive story. So it was a Halloween party one year. Mm-hmm. Um. Me and uh, my ex-girlfriend, while we went to Temple University, uh, decided to dress up as I was a, a milkman, and she was milk. And she was dressed as a milk cart, and I was dressed like a milkman, and we were both drinking uh, alcohol out of milk jugs. Mm. Um, we, we're drinking. We have a big pregame at my house. We take uh, the Broad Street line to uh, Race and Vine to uh, go to a, a Halloween party. On the way out of the Broad Street line, my girlfriend at the time, her arm gets stuck in the thing. You know when you're leaving the... The turnstile? The, turn, no, the one you're leaving. The uh, one that the, swings the fast. The revolving doors? And, it, and it, she got her arm crunched. You know how it's like a cheese grater so you can't sneak in that way? Yeah. She got her arm crunched. Thought she broke her arm. Can't go to the party. Go to Hahnemann Hospital real quick because wow. my, my girlfriend at the time thinks she broke her arm. It was an extremely negative experience, mm. um, which is fine. However, it was also a very fun experience because I was dressed like a milkman drinking mojitos <laughs> at, in the emergency room. Uh, me and my and my girlfriend at the time, she was laying in a hospital bed 
and we just got straight up ignored. And then it ended up billing her like three hundred dollars for aspirin and for taking up a bed for an hour. Mm, of course. But that's that's uh that's healthcare, which we won't. That's not the the word of the day. Private so we're, uh, we're not gonna start talking about healthcare. Also, my best friend uh, Ben, after the Eagles won the NFC Championship, we were um storming the streets, rioting, etc. Mm-hmm. And my friend. I was climbing on a big horse statue at City Hall, and I was completely fine. My friend, however, someone else had climbed up a street sign, and the sign fell, gashed him from forehead to eye socket, and cut his head open. And uh, he went to Hahnemann, and there's all these pictures of him drenched in his own blood. We thought he was going to die. Sorry, run this back. Was this after the Eagles? After the Eagles' NFC Championship. So the one that got us into the Super Bowl. So he was stitched up in time for the Super Bowl? He was stitched up in time for the Super Bowl. (laughs) To do it again. have that extra week in between the Super Bowl and the Pro Bowl. So Hahnemann has been uh, extremely – it's been a part of my life. Uh, Various times. uh, I have a friend. He he got arrested – um, just because he was too drunk on Temple's campus, he was alone. Cops took him to Hahnemann against his will. He, they, he got changed into a nightgown, and then he walked home in the in the hospital gown from Hahnemann to Temple <laughs> against his I will. Mean, he, he pulled out his IV and he walked. He, he probably walked. looked like an escaped asylum <laughs> uh, patient. No, I, I, but I, I say this so people know that, like, I have a, I know this place. I've, I've been inside this hospital many times. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever received care, but uh, my, my loved ones and friends and family have. It's something that I'm aware of. One quick follow-up on the uh, the milkman and, and uh, uh-huh. jug of milk story. Did, yes. uh, when you went in with your uh, your then-girlfriend, did they uh, confiscate your hooch, or did you keep drinking? No, no, no. I, there's tons of videos of me sitting there because <laughs> it was in a milk jug. <laughs> so, and, and, and shout-out to my girlfriend. The mint leaves might have been a giveaway. She had, No, no. It's, it's not translucent. Uh. It was it was it was one it was all white ones. All white yeah. you know, to mess with your brain, so you mm. buy it. But uh we had the mojitos and the milk jugs <laughs> sitting in Hahnemann Hospital drinking them. That's uh, great. I love it. That's that's the dryer. But uh from there we're gonna let the theme music play. And we're back. (laughs) Here we are, baby. So, Colt, do you know uh, the history of Hahnemann? No. Would you please fill me in on that? Uh, Well, do you know anything? How old do you think Hahnemann Hospital is? Uh, On a cursory search, I believe it is 125 years old. You are off by about 50 years. So, (laughs) Hahnemann Hospital began as the Homeopathic Medical College of Pennsylvania, which opened in 1848 on 627 Arch Street. So they, you, ta- they taught like crystals and yoga and I was like going to ask, do you know what homeopathy is? Not exactly, but I have some, and you some mentioned, images in my head. you mentioned crystals. <laughs> All right. Homeopathy is the treatment of disease by minute doses of natural substances that in a healthy person would produce symptoms of the disease. In 2010, it was proven that homeopathic methods proved to do no better than placebos in a side-by-side study. Hmm. However, large populations of the world still believe in homeopathic methods. Eastern culture, hipster types, and anti-vaxxers still use forms of homeopathy. However, it is also seen as a last-ditch option for people who have nowhere to turn or don't believe in traditional science. I think probably a good... um... Uh, a good example for people at home is uh, Steve Jobs. Didn't he turn to like a juice diet very, when he was dying of cancer? Very similar to yeah. big brain smart guy uh, Steve Jobs. <laughs> all the money in the world for all the medicine in the world. Deciding not to do any real medicine mm-hmm. and mostly do uh, a juicero juice cleanse. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also you could think of like some modern less harmful versions of homeopathy would be like, hey, burn some sage. Um, what is it? Uh, one of my girlfriends gave me some type of spray 
to put on my throat and forehead to help me sleep better. Some aspects of CBD Lavender, feel like homeo, uh, CBD. Uh, homeo, no, CBD, perfect example. If you're not, I mean, it's good for like apparently inflammation and anxiety, but pretty oh much everything God, else those are my is homeopathy. For bullshit. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, inflammation's real. Inflammation's real, but uh, and anxiety's real, words, but they're they're tossed around a lot. Yes, both those words are overly used. Like they say, sure, yeah. inflammation is one of the words that uh, like. Like bullshit doctors mm. and, and people who sell like supplements will throw around just because the regular person doesn't understand the human body. Or people that want you to go on an all beef diet, like yes. uh, Jordan Peterson. Please, yeah. yeah. Well, the keto thing, all that shit. Um. So, could you make an educated guess who the father of homeopathy is? Hmm. I got no idea. I'm gonna guess it's a guy with like a very German name. To quote LiveScience.com, homeopathy was developed in the late 18th century by Samuel Hahnemann, a respected oh. doctor in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I mean, I had I was not thinking of the hospital name at that time. No, uh, Hahnemann believed that like cures like, and that minute concentrations of a particular toxin could cure the very same symptoms it would cause in larger doses. Hmm. Think poison ivy to treat rashes this notion of like cures like was similar to the emerging science of inoculation and vaccination hmm. and hahnemann's treatments which is in, also bullshit right? yeah, no, not, <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding not, sorry don't that is disregard. the exact thing we want to avoid and hahnemann's treatments in their dilute forms were far safer than most medical practices during his time such as bloodletting hmm. end quote so Christian Frederick Samuel Hahnemann died in 1843. Five years later, the hospital was created. I would like to mention, as a side note, that this was about 60 years before the first lobotomy takes place in the 1930s. Mm. So I have no shade to Hahnemann for getting not getting everything completely right. Yeah, essentially, they were, they were reading tea leaves. Yeah, essentially, then. Hahnemann was an old school scientist and doctor back in the trial and error days, long before we cracked the case of the human genome. Mm. And I, I think it's really important to uh, point <laughs> out that 1930s thing. Like in 1930s, they started doing lobotomies. Is that really how late they were? They started started wow. doing lobotomies <laughs> in the 1930s. Uh, is there anywhere I could go to get one? I feel like sometimes I could use. A I'm sure people still do them um, in 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 some places, and I've I've read Deep a in lot the woods. about lobotomies. Lobotomies are there's a place um, in Virginia and Maryland where uh, they used to practice lobotomies on anyone with any form of autism. Uh, or Down syndrome. I, I think as late as like the '60s or in the '70s. I don't want to spread misinformation, but I believe they did some sort of like crude uh, lobotomies like way back in the day, like in, like in antiquity. Oh like, yeah, they used they to thought break they were, your like, head open. They thought they were like releasing bad humors. Yes, yes. And yes. I don't know what. Do you have any idea what was the idea of lobotomies in the '30s and '40s? Like, well, that they didn't understand the brain yet, so they they were just basically being like, "All right, fuck well, up the bad part." Yeah, if if he's autistic, we got to go in that brain, mm. start touching stuff, pull and pull out the autism, and that's where yes, <laughs> they they thought they could pull out the autism, like there'd mm. be an autism bone, uh, and there's not, which it, there is. Oh. No, no, oh, no, no, we've come to an impasse. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there is no bone specifically for that. So. Would you like to learn about a young Samuel Hahnemann? I would love to. As a young man of about 19 or 20 years old, Hahnemann was poor, starving, and desperate in 1700s modern-day Germany. He then met an opulent Transylvanian baron mm. named Samuel Bruckenthal, the head of the Madgeburg's Freemasons Lodge. Oh, hell yeah. Do you know anything about Freemasons? Give us anything you know. Um... I know they're frequently involved in stealing the Declaration of Independence. Yes, um, confirmed. And um, I know they frequently, uh, you know, in collaboration with the Illuminati, uh, c collaborate with rappers. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. As for my 2008 YouTube Beyonce. research, yeah, yeah. Uh, other than that, I know there's a really strange white, uh, all white like pine building uh, on my way to work down here uh, in South Jersey. We are currently broadcasting from Ventnor, yeah, uh, we're New in Jersey. Ventnor, New Jersey. Yeah, and uh, this would be on a safe Shore social Road. distancing apartment. Oh yeah, we're About like six exactly. We might even be six and a half feet. We're yeah. we're taking it real a careful. Large dining room table between us. We have not touched or shared beverages. Yeah. Nope. Okay, so um, it's a yeah a very freaky building. Uh, it, it suggests that there's some sort of rituals in there, even though I know that it's mostly like a Kiwanis club. And that's club the general now. idea behind Freemasons. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, this Freemasonry, and I'm going to mm. talk for a little bit here. Let's hear it. 
<sighs> so everything that I've read about uh, the history of German Freemasonry makes me believe that the subject is far too vast to understand immediately. However, it seems that the roots of the Madgeburg's Freemason Lodge are rooted as far back as the 13th century. The word Mason or Freemason is so loaded that it's hard to judge what exactly they did. I'd compare it to a modern day mashup of like a super PAC with apprenticeships and it's like a fraternal group. Mm. It, it, it's like that, it, but back then. It's like then. an Oak Lodge. Yeah, like a group, like the Knights of Columbus. Some retired businessmen, they get together. But, but then they also have apprentices and back in the day, you got to think of when uh, Hahnemann was in one of these. It's the 1700s before, like there's, there's no school like formalized public education. This is how you learn shit or, or got a skill or made uh, connections within your community. And some of them, I assume did some Illuminati type stuff, but uh, yeah, I have one quick aside. Uh, One story I have that kind of cracks me up is that I remember my dad saying one time he said some word or configuration of words Mm -hmm. in front of one of his coworkers. And he went like, Oh, you're uh, you're in the, uh," and my dad went, huh? And he went, oh, uh, never mind. And uh, and then he later found out the guy was a Freemason. So you know they they have some sort of Byzantine handshakes. I do and not like that. passwords. Yeah, kind of creepy. I, don't, I was going to ask if you know anyone who's a Mason. No, no. You just said your dad's a Mason. No, 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 no. My dad's coworker said. So- uh, My dad said something just in casual passing conversation, and his coworker was like, "Ah, oh, you're one of us." And my dad was like, "What?" What did I say? What did I do? Oh. Uh, maybe I, this was a long time ago. Maybe he made some gesture with his hand or something too. Uh, but the guy immediately took that as a sign that my dad was uh, on the in group. That's and so weird. Very creepy. I, and I think I, I think even the, though it's probably pretty benign, the ultra rich still probably have it. Well, no, but not even that. You just crews that hang out. I, but like I said. It's a, it's kind of like a structure in society. You'd have apprentices that you'd instill lessons into and skills for other members, kind of like the Jedi's and Star Wars. Uh, but Freemasons and Masons are widely considered to be a part of Illuminati lore and conspiracy theories. Uh, in the book In Life and Letters of Samuel Hahnemann, author Thomas Bradford said of Hahnemann's time with the Masons, it was in these quiet scholarly days that Hahnemann acquired that extensive and diverse knowledge of ancient literature and of occult sciences of which he afterwards proved himself to be a master end quote he went on to then become a scientist and physician during a time in which people did not understand science he would prescribe people to eat things like green peppers and to ingest the sin chow new plant to test and relieve their symptoms which Hmm. sometimes seemed like it worked and eventually helped to bring him a career it wasn't uncommon for him to microdose people with mercury he even claimed that god had revealed the these methods to him. Not shockingly, many of his patients died because of his incorrect science. Hahnemann was a deep believer in astronomy and alchemy. He also believed that you could cure the common cold by taking a tiny bit of onion and dropping it into a large mass of water and then ingesting that onion water. And what I mean by a large body of water, I mean like a stadium full of water. Like drop a little bit of onion. So this was like a year long project? It's it it called dilution. He, Just to he, get rid of a four day cold? Well, no, no, no. He, I, I, in an ideal world, they'd make bottles of the stuff, and hmm. you'd be able to get rid of the common cold. I don't know. Weirdly enough, Samuel Hahnemann developed a reputation as a doctor who achieves results among his peers. For this reason, homeopathy exploded in the early 20th century. <laughs> Thousands of doctors practi- practiced these nonsense methods worldwide. More than a thousand uh, homeopathic doctors in in the UK. Uh, homeopathy was rivaled by other forms of medicine. These debates raged and escalated because it was seen as a fight over the future of science. Apothecaries, which is kind of like modern day uh, medicine, chased Samuel Hahnemann out of Leipzig, Germany. He found refuge in the town of Kothen, eventually dying in the 1840s as a still prominent and respected figure in Paris. Wow. That's so, a lot. Yeah, so, so that's good old uh, Hahnemann for whom our our hospital is named. I feel like it's probably, on, on the Freemason uh, bit, I, I, I feel like it's probably safe to say, back in the day, I don't know what they are now, I feel like it's probably safe to say these were guys who thought they were um, carrying on, like... Uh, Tradition. The, the, well, no, but I mean, like the, the, the Renaissance and like the, uh, what do they call it? Not the Renaissance. Um, 
like uh, the Enlightenment. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? I think there's probably some a lot well, of you, just you like high-minded debate. Yeah, over it's it's brandy you know, like a thing. fraternal order. Mostly dudes sitting around. Right. It could be any version. Who doesn't love dudes sitting around? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's the it's the course of history has been. Maybe decided. I'm a Freemason. I just don't know yet. The course of history has been decided by just like five dudes to six sitting dudes around. sitting around. <laughs> Am I changing history? Right now? That's what people do. That's what podcasts are. That's how the Constitution was written. Mm. That's what the Masons were up to. Hmm. Let's get to the history of the hospital, and then we'll talk about why we're talking about the hospital. So the early hospital operated as a free clinic to the sick and provided clinical opportunities to students. Home the Homeopathic Medical College of Pennsylvania became Hahnemann Medical School in 1869. As time went on, the world began to slowly realize that homeopathy was nonsense. However, Hahnemann Hospital and School adapted graciously rather than kicking and screaming about their namesake being proven a quack. They kept the Hahnemann name and adapted into what can be understood as a modern healthcare establishment into the 20th century. Here are some of the notable achievements through the years that are essentially the major barriers that Hahnemann broke down. And these are given to us by a great article penned by Alyssa Falcone for Drexel Now. All right. 1889. Rufus. Rufus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking. Fucking Rufus. Yeah, yeah, you can't be named Rufus. Get out of here, Rufus. Yeah, no, no. He did something great. He did something great, but you can't be named Rufus. Eh, it's, it's only balanced out by his name. 1889. Rufus B. Weaver, a professor of anatomy at Hahnemann Medical College, unveils the world's first complete nervous system teaching specimen. Hmm. 1920. Hahnemann opens America's first school of x-ray technology. 1928, Hahnemann Hospital moves to, to Broad Street, opening its doors, and it is 20 stories high, becoming the first ever skyscraper hospital. In the in the country? In the world? First ever. Wow. 1948, Chief of Thoriatric Surgery, Charles P. Bailey, performs the world's first successful Closed heart valvular surgery. He appears on the cover of Time magazine in 1957 in recognition of this. Hmm. 1963, Hahnemann's doctors perform the region's first kidney transplant. 1967, Hahnemann starts the world's first graduate level art therapy education program. 1970, Pennsylvania's first outpatient dialysis unit launches. 1971, the region's first physician's assistant program is created. 1976, Hahnemann's doctors perform the region's first allogenic bone marrow transplant. 1986, Hahnemann opens Philadelphia's first level one trauma center for adults. And in 2017, Hahnemann becomes the country's second academic medical center to offer transgender surgery fellowship training programs. Hmm. Hahnemann is where uh, the founder of the company Vanguard, John Bogle, received an open heart transplant. Oh, just a heart transplant. Gerald Ford recovered from a stroke in 2000 after the RNC at Hahnemann, and Princess of Monaco Grace Kelly was born there. <laughs> in 2002, the hospital partnered with Drexel University until the hospital was purchased in 2018. Most importantly about Hahnemann was that it was a safety net hospital, meaning that Hahnemann provided affordable care to Philadelphia's uninsured, undocumented, and most vulnerable residents, as well as those living in the neighborhoods north of City Hall. On June 26, 2019, Joel Friedman, a private equity investor <laughs> in California who owns for-profit healthcare management company called American Academic Health System of which a subsidiary Philadelphia Academic Health System owns Hahnemann Hospital announced that he had filed chapter 11 bankruptcy and the immediate liquidation of these assets. Hmm. So that's the entire history of Hahnemann. It is clearly an incredibly storied um Hospital, whose story essentially starts in the 1700s in Germany and leads us to this pandemic in 2020. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, and that's what I think the interesting scope of thing is. You look at this, um, this situation that we're in, and it's a hospital that is named after a man whose nonsense life of fake science has led to... Um, 
the creation of a hospital and college that pretty much changed medicine forever. Uh, it broke grounds in several ways. It saved the lives and treated millions of Philadelphians uh, throughout its 170 plus year career. And uh, then that was all taken away in the name of profits, uh, in the name of private, private equity, equity, to a man who is now being villainized throughout the country. Right. And this is where it becomes important to the people of the year 2100. This is where the story gets interesting, my people. Um, so I've gone over the, the deep, deep history of this. Uh, it starts in the 1700s. We're living in 2020 now. Uh, that's essentially how we got here. Um, Do we have any word on Joel Friedman's net worth? I do not. Do you? I, a cursory search. I could not find. You can't. It. You can't find uh, if because he's just recently famous. You can't find the net worth of some right. scumbag like that until after their shit blows up. Like right. I'm sure now someone's, someone's yeah someone's scoping around. Okay, Hanman Hospital announced that he had fired uh, filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy and the immediate liquidation of his assets. Could you guess uh, what some of those assets would be? Of Joel Friedman? No, no, of Hanuman Hospital that he got to sell. Hmm. Uh, I would guess probably some satellite uh, doctor's offices and things like that. Um, uh, yeah, that's about as far as my guess would go. Well, I, I have this amazing have. Uh, article in the Scientific American written by, and I'm so sorry for how I'm going to pronounce this name. I'm going to say Sumya Rangarajan. Sumya Rangarajan. Uh, uh, you know, gave, you that, gave it the college try. I gave it my best. So, assets included... 571 medical residents and fellows in over 30 specialties who now find themselves out of a job. Because technically, you can... doctors and nurses are assets. So how do you sell them, but they're out of a job, though? How does that work? Many of them had just started uh, their graduate medical education on July 1st, moving themselves and their families across the region only to find out days later they'd have to start out again. Mm. These assets also included 40% of the clinical staff who had been laid off. For a doctor, this would seem rare, but uh, not really. Not in the case of private equity. Most troublesome of all of the liquidated assets included the tens of thousands of patients who had to look much farther afield for their medical care, deepening the crisis of already burdened emergency rooms and inpatient and critical beds in the city. Mm. Hahnemann was the first closure of a major, major urban hospital and primary affiliate of an academic medical center. So what that means is essentially when you buy a company the size of Hahnemann, you also have to account for the employees because when he bought it, when this company bought the hospital, it was a hospital. Mm. So they had to pretend that they were in the hospital business and like they wanted to run a hospital. But the truth is that they didn't want to run a hospital. They wanted to just make as much money as humanly possible. And in the words of this great WHYY article, in fact, this is how private equity is supposed to work. Big firms buy struggling companies with the promise of financial support to improve their operations and business strategy. When things go right, the business succeeds, and the private equity firm sells it in a public offering or to another bidder for more than it is paid. In other cases, though, the process is not so successful. Private equity firms are often load the companies up with debt, take dividends out for themselves, sell off valuable resources. Private equity firms often load the companies up with debt, take dividends out for themselves, sell off valuable real estate, and charge monitoring fees and interest on their loans, leaving a company in a much weaker position than it would have been otherwise, and often on the verge, of, urge, uh, and often on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, they swoop in like vultures. Uh, you know, just a just just a random metaphor that comes. Yeah, to just mind. a random a, metaphor or simile. Uh, but uh, they will quickly lay off people uh so quickly that the people that they sort of pick them apart they they sell off all their assets which could be you know the 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 land that a printing press sits on it could be uh, an office space it could be uh they do this so quickly that they just they suck the profits out and they 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 you know they hand it off to their investors and uh then they leave town anymore. well it's the same it's the same exact thing that happened to toys r us it's the same. It's every company. This mm -hmm. is how every 
literally how like everything works. This is how the American economy works. It's literally what the American government did to healthcare. Mm -hmm. Remember Obama came through and he gave us uh, <laughs> Obamacare, which we was not that great. And then Trump comes in and then they cut Obamacare, cut Obamacare. And they go, look, Obamacare's failing. And then everyone goes, oh my God, it's failing. Let's do anything else. Mm. And you can make off like a scapegoat. It's the weird way that the American economy functions where you go in, you gut everything, uh, you sell all the, all the, uh, all the it's looting. worthwhile. It's looting. It, yeah. it literally <laughs> it's, is. It's like clear the shelves. This it's going down, clear the shelves and make off like bandits. And usually it's just because of of a formula or an algorithm that tells them essentially how to do it, how to properly gut consultants that know how to gut things. Uh, you hire McKinsey. <laughs> like mm -hmm. a company like McKinsey. Uh, that's just become the face of it. Shout out, shout out to Pete. Um, you hire one of these consultant companies. They walk you through how to do it. They take, take large dividends, convince some idiot buyer to buy something, mm -hmm. and then they gut it for parts. And then they move on, which is fucked up when it's something like a, like, not, I, I don't, yeah, it, it's fucked up when it's something like a newspaper or Toys R Us. But then you do it to a hospital. <laughs> yeah. You do it to not only a hospital. No shame. A hospital that is in the epicenter of a major city known for serving the poor. But look, it's not like a pandemic's going to come along. So this brings us to where we are now, where there is a pandemic in the city of Philadelphia, the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic um, that has swept the nation. And the Hahnemann Hospital has been, it is empty, mm -hmm. gutted, assets sold, doctors kicked out, no longer a functioning hospital. To the point where if I got in an accident at uh, in Philadelphia, I don't know where I'd go. That's that's usually where I would go. I'd probably go to Thomas Jefferson now. Maybe Temple. We're in this situation. Pandemic. Completely empty hospital. The mayor goes to the aforementioned Joel Friedman of the private, private equity, equity company, company and says, Hello, we would like to use this empty hospital for hospital stuff. Um, can we please use this hospital for hospital stuff? And I believe Joel Friedman asked for $1 million, uh, was it a month or a night? It was either a month or a night. Either way. Yeah. I had read the specifics of what the deal was. Uh, Joel Friedman says no. And it was usury, basically. Yeah, and it was only if we needed it. Uh, and, and we only wanted it for a couple months to help us with the pandemic. Joel Friedman says no, no thank you. And the city of Philadelphia has to move on to uh, an empty uh, stadium. At, uh, yeah. at at the Leah Kors Center at Temple University. Which, by the way, can only fit, apparently, a little bit more than 200 people. I, I wouldn't believe that it could fit more. It didn't look like there was that many beds. Hahnemann could fit 500. Yeah. It's Hahnemann, 500 bed Hahnemann had possible. 500 beds. It's 25 stories. They, it, so, yeah. Um, this brings us to the problem of, A, for-profit health care. Um, if you ask anyone right now, how is the healthcare system doing? How are hospitals doing? The answer is essentially terrible. They're, mm -hmm. they're doing terrible. If you ask doctors, they'll tell you that they're doing terrible. If you ask nurses, they'll tell you that they haven't been tested, but they're dealing with people who have the disease. If right. you talk to, I went to a doctor the other day because I had a, a little medical scare of my own. Uh, and it, there's a big sign on my doctor, the doctor I go to, on his door saying, we are not accepting anyone with COVID-19 symptoms. Hmm. And then you hear stories of people with COVID-19 symptoms going to hospitals and getting rejected. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, w without people like Joel Friedman coming in and gumming up the system uh, when, you know, people need collaboration most. I was just reporting a story today. It should be in what is today's. Uh, so it should be in the April 1st edition of the Press of Atlantic City. Uh, about South Jersey hospitals, um, the three heads, the, the, the CEO of uh, Atlanticare, the CEO of Shore Medical Center in Summers Point, and the CEO of Cape Regional uh, Medical Center, they all wrote an op-ed, which is also running in tomorrow's paper, a guest column, I guess you could call it, mm -hmm. um, about how because of this, you know, they've basically, they're basically uh, foregoing any sort of elective surgeries, any sort of elective testing, and... Um, that 
they're asking people to take voluntary furloughs or voluntary layoffs. I mean, there's already enough stress on these people. I've, I, I'm still working to to uh, sort of confirm everything so I can report it out. But I know four or five nurses at Shore Medical Center in Summers Point are quarantining uh, with COVID nineteen symptoms. We wh- they're waiting on the results of the well, test, how, but they have it. They they they're have not the even symptoms. Being, a lot of people aren't even being tested. The tests don't exist. Right. We don't have the tests. Right. I think they had to have their union step in to force testing. They, they weren't going to be able to at get the tested. beginning of twenty twenty that masks would be such a big topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, and you can't get them. I found one today. I felt like sis. I found one mask today. Where in, at? In my my shed. What from like painting or something? Yeah, that's a painting mask, but it's the one you're supposed to have. Yeah, it's like the better one. Apparently, it's the one you're specifically supposed to have. And are those like, one use? Are those I, like disposable? What I are have they? no idea, man. I sincerely. I'm am. I'm I'm, uh, I'm going commando on my face right now. <laughs> what, what what else are you gonna do, <laughs> Just man? Just hoping, yeah. And that's the nature of this shit. So let's talk a little bit of let's get into Corona talk. So. I do see a little positivity in the way that people have changed already. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Look around the world in 2020. Look at all the countries who are, aren't are being ravaged by this pandemic. South Korea did a pretty bang up job. Cuba has excess doctors to send other places. Meanwhile, the so-called greatest country on earth considers death panels to keep its fabricated economy afloat. The 2019 novel coronavirus will kill more people than 9-11. And we should be as mad at our own government for letting this happen as we were at Islam in 2001. However, it's not the same. We can't simply drone strike one million Iraqis to make this problem hurt less. Instead, we have to work together as a society. (laughs) Who can we drone? Who can we drone? There's got to be someone we can drone. (laughs) Is is there someone in the ocean that we can drone? (laughs) Unfortunately, the people in power, meaning the media, big business, and politics, has been predicated on division and hatred since about the 1960s. Bipartisanship has sown hatred and division so deep into the American psyche that the people don't even believe the pandemic is happening. People think it's an overhyped pandemic because CNN runs a breaking news ticker 50 times a day, and how is a Fox News viewer supposed to take COVID-19 as something serious if every week there is a new existential threat to humanity? The truth is, no No one in American politics thought that this could happen. Republicans are typically so rich that problems in the news don't affect them. And Democrats are too busy. Losing. (laughs) 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 No, losing and outthinking themselves to prepare for real problems. So while the Democrats were trying to find a means tested way to create a healthcare system, Republicans spent 50 years screaming fuck and laughing in their face. Now it's 2020 and the country is on lockdown for a pandemic that the country's not prepared for. People of the year 2100, I'm no better than the public I'm describing. I do not trust the media. As someone who sifts through the media to find a coherent story, there is none. Every bit of information you receive is skewed about this virus. Between dishonest clickbait headlines, the president's general misunderstanding of science, and the fact that the virus is so new that scientists barely understand it. The messed up thing is not just the lies and general dishonesty from the powers that be, but rather the effects it has on my loved ones. A friend of mine will repeat things Trump said, followed by repeating CDC facts that directly contradict the last thing he said. Then later that day, we'll be passing around a blunt. For me, a pandemic like this brings everyone down to my level. My life is a misguided chaos day after day, and now the rest of the world is in my arena. In the last two weeks heading into this monumental pandemic situation, I was offered my my dream job, then had my dream job put on hold. I went through a cancer scare and am currently taking antibiotics so strong that I throw up every morning. Lee's Hoagie House of Philadelphia stiffed me $700 that they owed me on a freelance contract. Please, Lee... Please boycott Lee's Hoagie's Philadelphia locations. My laptop broke, causing me to lose footage for this show, and all of my freelance opportunities have dried up in economic uncertainty. So, I don't know how the f*** a pandemic became a partisan issue, Mm. but it did. Uh, There's people... And Trump always gets an enemy. Now it's Fauci. Right. And we went through the stages where people are digging up dirt on Fauci, calling him a communist. Although I, I maybe I missed it, but I, I, I really don't see Trump uh, making an enemy out of Fauci. It's more like uh, his, he a lot of his supporters to. are drumming he, it up themselves. He doesn't have to yeah, anymore. Yeah. The, the machine goes on. Right, right, right. Like the clockmaker. Uh, Trump's kind of like the WWE. Right. 
uh, if you've ever met WWE fans, which I have a ton of friends that are mm-hmm. de- not friends, my family. Uh, I know plenty. They care so much mm-hmm. that they put their own thoughts and feelings onto this other thing, which is the whatever happens in the show. Yeah. So much so that they always believe they know better mm-hmm. and know what the show is trying to do and what they're trying to say. And well, they Trump's, feel owed something by it. They and, feel like they yeah, and they Trump's like people. Something. If you are a Trump supporter, you feel the same way. You feel like, oh, we're working together. He doesn't he believe me. in it. I don't believe in it. And it's hard with something like this where Trump has changed. Every, he doesn't know anything. He does, he's not saying anything. He originally called it a hoax. Then he called it a Chinese attack. Now it's going to kill us all. But we, we should go go work anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, we'll be out by Easter. Now we won't be out by Easter. Like, And if, you, if you're someone who rides with him, what you get from that message is it's fake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because right. because the other people the are saying the goalpost keeps shifting. So there, if there's nothing if solid M- about if this, if MSNBC then... is saying it's real, right? If Trump calls it a hoax once, it's a hoax, right? Here's the thing: is that uh, I think there's some um, uh, cognitive dissonance in that a lot of people were with the hoax theory until they realized, like someone in my community has it, or mm-hmm. uh, a friend of a friend has it, but I, I don't think they put that together with the fact that they were originally calling it a hoax and I don't think it it, it elucidates anything for them about their current form their current this way of thinking it's just have, oh well you know I thought that now I don't and you know it's what happens when you have a a society with no culture or togetherness mm. like so other countries are better are better suited to deal with this because they have a sense of like shared values in some sense Whereas not only do we have no shared values in this country, we have a destabilized central government that every state's doing different stuff. We heard Andrew Cuomo go on TV talk about how he's trying to outbid California for ventilators and masks. That's how it works. A company goes to the government, several different state governments, and he goes, how much can I get for this? And then the states have to outbid each other. Right. So I saw a story today that said uh, this was based on... Uh, interviews with governors and other people that are familiar with it. You know, that's always the phrase they use, uh, people familiar with the matter, uh, uh-huh. that Trump has used this certain act 300,000 times. It's an act from oh, yeah. South Korea, from like the, the Korean War. The DPA, and, the Defense yeah, Productions Act. And basically you can sort of, um, uh, you can basically uh, compel a company to produce something. Uh, I don't know how it works in terms of payment or, if, mm-hmm. you know, if it's just like, oh, we will pay you the market rate for this or... Um, if it's just saying like you're now uh, working for the national government until yeah. until further say so, um, but he's used it three hundred thousand times since the beginning of the year and is now saying like oh, in terms of this, using it. For but the how court. does that even? I saw this same thing. How how do you, how three hundred thousand times? It's I know. March. It, I know. I, I was thinking that too. It might it might be by like units of things produced oh, okay. or something. Maybe I I don't know I, that. It does sound like That's a ludicrous number. It might be me the wrong way in that article. I read right. the same article. <laughs> but it's like, why are we not? If there's any time to nationalize an industry, like you know, oh, people no, to work I, making I, I, ventilators I, or I, masks I know what, or any he only PPE. he only did the ventilator thing to one company. Yeah, GM. Right, and so they're well. Have they d- done that? Because I know that the workers were striking to say, "Why are we making cars and not?" Well, no, he he did he used the Defense Production Act on GM, who was like, "We don't." know how to do it <laughs> rather than there's huge fucking stockpiles ventilators exist that are on the market i've heard that too what what is this about stockpiles and why are they not being basically so, stolen well it's not the same so what is the word stockpile uh just storage yeah that's, so, so there's probably a warehouse with ventilators waiting to be sold and this is a joel friedman situation where people no, are not e- they well, expect a, more money a a yes it is a joel friedman situation where someone wants to make money but also b uh, these are probably like small and mid-level sellers that are not on the government's radar, which is likely how it is. But that's what happens when you have an incompetent government that doesn't do anything or know how anything works. Right. So how would you know? You're not going to have a back catalog of potential ventilator manufacturers mm-hmm. in the Trump fuck White House. Right. You're well, not, you're not going to, you're just not going to have that. Another story that I feel like just says a lot about the current situation uh, not just about this during the pandemic, but just 
just where America is right now. I know there was a company trying to develop like hundred hundred dollar like portable ventilators, yep. uh, as opposed to what are they now like thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars a ventilator, which I don't quite understand how how a ventilator costs thirty thousand dollars. But this company was trying to do that. I believe a, a competitor bought them out and then ceased the production. Yep, because because they didn't want you know someone else undercutting their. Uh, their how sales. anyone is still fighting on behalf of capitalism is beyond me. Uh, yeah, especially in places like this, in the healthcare industry. Yeah, the healthcare industry is like, I, I, I like. That's I, what I don't get. It's like, okay, I, I'm all for like whatever. You, these two companies want to uh, want to go head to head, making the best slap chop <laughs> but, or, or toothpaste. Fine. Yeah, but I'm all for open that, markets that, and the toothpaste. It doesn't market. make sense when people are dying. It does, and it, it becomes especially ludicrous. And I think some people start to get that. Um, in a time like this where everyone is just f- freaked out and is, you know, locked in their house with nothing to do besides drink and read the news. <laughs> and yeah, well, I think people get it a little bit. I think more people get it now. So to wrap up, uh, the, the, the story of Hahnemann has not ended. Should we talk about eminent domain? Talk about working? it. If you've got anything Hahnemann related to talk about, talk about it. Okay. So I, I just wanted to add in that, um, of course, you know, with Joel Friedman, uh, you know, balking at selling, uh, mm. most people just went like, why don't we just, you know, use eminent domain? And, you know, Philly has a history. My family has their own history. I know when my dad was very young, I guess this would be like the, the mid-60s, mm-hmm. uh, they basically gave him, I, I guess, I maybe the market rate for their house, but probably below... Uh, for my dad's family's house in Germantown, which is like uh, like North Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. Um, and they gave him a certain amount of money, and they knocked the house down, and they made it a parking uh, lot for LaSalle University. That makes Which is, work. on behalf of a private institution. Th- that makes me blood red mad. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and it worked, <laughs> fuck, yeah, it worked out for them. They, they, they moved into like uh, what is now, I guess you could call a better neighborhood. Uh, but, you know, at the time they were like, guess we're packing up and moving because this university wants to put a parking lot here great um and so there's a history of it in philadelphia and obviously they'll do it for a private university or i'm sorry a a private institution uh but basically what what uh jim kenny said is that this was the mayor jim kenny for Mm -hmm. people outside of the philadelphia area is that it would have been too like protracted of a process to try to get this it would have took too long it basically would have been out of like we need this now we need to have it up and running soon um, for when this surge that's supposedly coming comes. Yeah. Um, I know Helen Gim called for it on Twitter. I will pull up what she said. Um, she is a councilwoman. Yeah, she's on She's on the city council. I think yeah. she represents uh, a little bit of South Philly, a little nor- Northeast Philly. Yeah, she said uh, this was on the 24th of March, which was uh, last Tuesday. Ago, yeah. yeah. She said, let's see, she said, eminent domain was created for situations like Hahnemann. This is a public health emergency, and Philly is the largest city in the nation without a public hospital, which is, I think, a good point. Uh, We cannot allow unconscionable greed to get in the way of saving lives. Eminent domain this property, Um, which I think uh, when people outside of the Philadelphia area got uh, caught wind of what's going on here, that was most people's things, like, just take it. Like, fuck you, we're taking it. You could give it back to him in a year. I agree a billion percent on the idea of taking things. Yeah. Um, There's got to, you got to be able to expedite that in situations like this. There's certain shit that should just be owned by the city. I I think, like, the stadiums should be owned by the city. Right. Because we pay for them. Because we paid for them. Yeah. And 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 the hospital that we paid for should be owned by by the people. Right. Like, how do you buy something that the taxpayer money went into? It's like, the same. I, I don't even fucking understand, like, yeah. the logistics, how the rules only work one way. In It's some vague promise of further dividend or of future dividends of, like, you know. But it's, it's a, a hospital! Uh, Fuck your dividends! No, 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 no. I know, uh, I know. Nah. But I'm saying that's what the that's what the, that's what the, the leagues promise cities that, yeah, that pay yeah. for the hospital or that pay for a stadium is that, like, Oh, it's it's great for economic development. We're going to employ people, you know, at ten dollars an hour, maybe, yeah. maybe. Um, non And uh, you know, we're going to drive and business we're not to fucking pay them. And that's oh, we're going to drive business to to bars and restaurants in the area. Meanwhile, you know, they're marooned down there near the near the the mm-hmm. near the highways because they're really for people that live in the suburbs. They're not for people that. Well, live let me give the you city. the idea of the three headed dragon right here. So we got Joel Friedman, the cocksucker who won't open uh, Hahnemann <laughs> Hospital. 
Uh, he is investment partners with Josh Harris, owner of the 76ers, not paying people a living wage. Mm -hmm. And they both invest in companies with Jared Kushner. There's a three-headed dragon of Josh, Jared, and Joel. And Josh, Jared Kushner, if you guys didn't know, is the son-in-law to President Donald Juwan Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Donald Donald Jerome Trump. I love him. uh, Donald Julio Trump. Donald Jesus Trump. Um who uh is a notorious slumlord <laughs> in New York City mm-hmm. uh who who do also destabilizing the Middle East with his funds almost uh, just once you get to that level of wealth it just becomes how it's almost like the only way that you can make 1 billion turn to 2 billion is mm-hmm. like war crimes and evil and also I feel like if you were planning on wrapping up soon, yep. we should discuss uh, the graffiti on Joel Friedman's house. Oh, absolutely. Which uh, uh, our good friend uh, Max Marin at WHYY uh, and Billy Penn uh, got the scoop on. I'm a huge fan of that. They should check down by the Sixers Stadium to see if anyone did any spray painting down there. Yeah, right. Didn't they that they initially were trying to say that they were not going to continue paying their, their furloughed workers? Mm-hmm. And then someone I know uh, <laughs> went down and did some spray painting. Uh uh, that did not get covered by the news. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I can't. It, there was some misdirection. How do you know anger. the guy? Oh, I just uh, ran into him once. I saw him. That's fuck. What did they write? Shame in all big letters oh, uh, man. right outside the stadium. Damn, I saw that. How did you uh, how'd you find out about this? Just heard about it through the grapevine. Uh, but really when well I saw connected. that, someone did the, almost the same exact thing as this guy I know mm-hmm. a couple days later, and it made yeah. news. I was like, oh, good so, for them. So this was, yeah, this was on uh, Friedman's Rittenhouse home, um, and they wrote... To be honest, I, saw, I thought of the same exact idea of going there, because I pass it when I walk into the But city. you're an upstanding citizen. You would never. Oh, no, no, no. And I had previously ran out of spray paint the other day. <laughs> well, how'd you run out? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck. Cut the podcast. Cut the podcast. So they wrote, Joel kills in red. And then on the other uh, caddy corner of the house, they wrote, uh, free Hahnemann. Um, Which and of course, he see. definitely doesn't live there because he's probably like, like I'm sure you've seen all these numerous stories about people jet setting, all these rich people jet mm-hmm. setting off to their New Zealand homes or their Montana homes. And I know, it's I know, on Little St. James hanging out. Oh yeah, they, <laughs> <laughs> they all know St. James. And I say, hey, you want a wonderful kind of day where you can learn to work and play and get along with each other. And I say, hey, you are the wonderful kind of day Where you can learn to work and play And get along with each other I'm gonna love life till I'm done growing up And when I'm going down, I'm gonna go down swinging my Still smiling and my heart still singing To quote an article from the Philadelphia Inquirer by Anna Orso Joel Friedman's spokesperson, Sam Singer, told the Inquirer that Friedman offered to sell the property below market rate or to rent the facility at $60 per bed per day, totaling at about $900,000 a month, which he called a hugely, deeply discounted rate compared to other comparable situations. He noted that California is paying $2.6 million per month to rent a closed smaller hospital during the pandemic, end quote. There are and will be entire books and journalistic studies about the monumental dismantling of the American healthcare system. I've been told that everything used to be better, but I'm only 24, so the America I know is a declining dumpster fire of an empire. People want to tell my generation to buck up and that we're soft, but the reality is being born in the 1990s was a cursed number. I was born in 1995. We've got 9-11 in 2001, the economic recession in 2008, the constant war in the Middle East, and a financial system that is declining and fake, being proven to be fugues every time it gets the chance to rear its head. Plus climate change and now a pandemic. 
Meanwhile, most senior citizens who just barely had to tolerate the Cold War are destroying the world in pursuit of economic models they do not even understand. Hahnemann and Friedman is just one example of the ultra-rich being unable to empathize with the public. It's also an example of how the 21st century valued profit over human lives and dismantled the healthcare system in pursuit of straight cash. Philadelphia has no public hospital in the midst of the pandemic. And who's to blame? Years of corrupt politicians in D.C., years of inadequate state funding by the state of Pennsylvania, years of poor leadership in the city of Philadelphia, and the modern healthcare establishment. In the face of all those errors made by decades of bureaucracy, shoddy government, and corruption, Joel Friedman has the power to be a hero. He had the power to say, Hey, this is a pandemic of absurd proportions. Sure, I'm okay because I'm a millionaire cocksucker. But let's open up the hospital and save some lives. And how about this, Philadelphia? I'll only charge a half a million dollars a month. If he would have done that, he could have been a hero. And it probably would have cleared his name and made him someone who was beloved in the city rather than being someone who was hated and vilified. And he still would have made a half a million dollars a month from it. But instead, he didn't. And the people of the future will always know one thing. Joe Friedman is a piece of shit. Ah, that felt good to say. And I'm not going to bleep it either. Uh, yeah, and, and throughout this episode, I've, I've, I've played a bunch of, like, happy-go-lucky music because, sincerely, this pandemic is kicking everybody's ass in 2020. People are sad. People are isolated. It's it's weird times to live in, and I'm sure I'll get deeper into it as these episodes go on. But I don't, I don't want to drone about the negatives. Focus on the positives, my good people. Don't wash your hands and kiss a senior citizen. Thank you, and happy 2100. As all of you know, the possible closure of Hahnemann has nothing to do with healthcare. It has everything to do with greed, corporate greed. It is about a national healthcare system in America, which is dysfunctional because its goal is not to provide healthcare to all people as a right, but is to make as much money as possible for the insurance companies, the drug companies, and in this case, in this case, real estate speculators. That is wrong. That is immoral. That is not what this country is about. We believe that health care is a human right. And we're going to fight for a system that is based on human needs, not corporate profits. <laughs> Healthcare is not a commodity to be bought and sold to the highest bidder. Healthcare is something that every person in this city, in this state, in this country is entitled to because they are a human being. In the immediate moment where we are right now, we stand in solidarity with doctors, nurses, community groups, and local elected officials who are fighting to save Hahnemann from being destroyed by a real estate speculator. But what we must also understand is that this is not just a Philadelphia issue. It is not just a Vermont issue. It is a national issue. Since 2010, over 100 hospitals in the United States have shut down and if we do not get our act together and put people before profits, hundreds more will soon be shutting down. 
Make no mistake about it. If an investment banker like Joel Friedman is able to shut down this, Joel Friedman is able to shut down Hanneman and make a huge profit by turning this hospital into luxury condos. It will send a signal to every vulture fund on Wall Street that they can do the same thing in community after community after community. We cannot and we will not allow that to happen. And that is why I will be very soon introducing legislation in the Senate to establish a $20 billion emergency trust fund. To help states and local communities purchase hospitals that are in financial distress. In my view, in my view, anytime a hospital is put up for sale in America, the local community or the state must have the right to buy it first with emergency financial assistance. And I'll tell you what else we're going to do. We're going to end private equity funds from Wall Street Vulture from owning hospitals in the first place. And I'll tell you what else we have got to do, and that is the United States must do what every other major country on earth does, and that is guarantee health care to all through a Medicare for all single-payer program.